Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Are you ready for the message? If you're streaming, are you ready for the message? Good job, streaming people. Get to church. Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Remember, pastor's like, you got to get in the building. If you're streaming, I'm, I'm not mad at you, but you are missing out. It is electric in here right now. Um, here's the deal. Um, last week, I shared the heart of the series, That's My Church. Uh, every July on my sabbatical, I like to go back uh, and read the book of Revelations. Just a nice, light read. Very enjoyable. Breezy, you know. Um, the, the, the red dragon and the, and the red whore and, 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 and you know, um, the end of the world. It's super exciting stuff. Um, you're like, that's in Revelation? Yes, yes, it is. Um, the apostate church. Um, so here's what happens every, uh, every July. I go and I read Revelation with this posture. Is Mission Church still a church that pleases you, God? And if we have lost our way, please open my eyes. Give me revelation to see where we've lost our way and courage to correct it. Courage to make sure we never lose our way. And in five years, I feel like we've, we've done a pretty good job. No church is perfect. But, but every, every, um, every July, I just feel this calibration of, man, keep the main things the main things. That God's presence is the most important thing to this house. That we would put him first, glorify him, that our life would be oriented around him. And so uh, last week I read about Ephesus and how they fell in love with works. And therefore, because they fell in love with works, they lost the presence of God. And God was saying, come back to the presence of God. Well, we're going to read the church of Laodicea. And they didn't lose the presence of God because of works. They lost the presence of God because of stuff. It's amazing how stuff can just squeeze out the presence of God. I want to read to you in Revelation 3. Uh, write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I don't know if there's any other church in the book of Revelation that uh, the Bay Area can relate with more than the Laodicean church. A fluent area, rich area, academic area, a very, very, uh, you know, we're the the trendsetter area. This is what Laodicea was, and that's what the Bay Area is. And because of that, they started to have culture seep into their mindset, thinking they didn't need God anymore. They had enough stuff. Goes on to say, you say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize you are wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Just read an article this week. The highest amount of suicides ever in a year in our nation's history happened this year. People are miserable, wretched, and poor. And they don't know where to find hope. And so they don't know where to find hope, so they're taking their lives. And the Lord is doing an invitation to us and to the Bay Area. I believe we could live this out. So I advise to you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich and also buy white garments from me. So you'll be, not be ashamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes. This is a big one. Ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. I correct the, and discipline the, everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. The first church, Ephesus, they had to turn from their works. Some of you just need to turn from your indifference. You need to decide who you're living for. And he goes on and says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Stop. There's this moment in that verse where the Lord says, uh, get ointment from me so I can open your eyes. Ointment represents the Holy Spirit that will open your eyes to the beauty of God, the goodness of God, and the purpose of your life. Uh, Let me just tell you something real quick. Uh, The Holy Spirit will transform somebody's life way better than you could. Uh, We... 
I really believe this, that I don't feel like I'm supposed to point out every single sin from church. I feel like I'm supposed to point you to the Holy Spirit, and he's going to peel the onion. And he's going to set you free of things that you never thought you'd be set free of. He's going to uh, create rhythms of life instead of rhythms of death. And so I feel like when you get the ointment of the Holy Spirit on your life, you start to see the beauty of God, and you want to turn away from the death of this world. Now, this is the prayer for this message, and i got to share a story because I really want you to hear um, what's on it. William Tyndale was a young man, went to Oxford, brilliant young man, uh, uh, was alive in the 1500s. And uh, this is a time uh, in the church's history where the church sucked. Can I, can I say that term? It was absolutely t- the worst of the worst. I don't know if there's a worse run in the church history than this, the Dark Ages, where the church became this political power to where, like, if you believe that you are saved by faith in Jesus dying on the cross and uh, the empty grave, they would kill you. They thought justification by faith, the doctrine of, our, of, of the word of God, they thought if you said that's how you get saved, that's it. You would literally be killed, burnt at a stake. The, the church withheld the Bible from everybody because they wanted to use it as a power to people. So nobody had the Bible, so nobody could even see the beauty of God because the church and the, the, um, the nation's power, England at this time, was using it to manipulate and control people. The church has been infamous for losing its way. This might be one of the most lost moments of the church's history ever. Well, this young man, William Tyndale, had this desire to translate the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into English. Now, this is him risking his life. He literally has to sneak into Germany. And as he sneaks into Germany, he gets 6,000 copies of the New Testament printed in English. Some kids are sneaking out to do drugs. Some kids are sneaking out to smoke. William Tyndale is sneaking out to get Bibles printed, okay? And so, so he sneaks out, and then he smuggles them back into England. Man, you want to be a trendsetter in your life? Smuggle Jesus back into your school. Okay, get the spirit of God back into your school. Okay, and so William Tyndale uh, smuggles them back into England, starts getting them out into people so they can read about the goodness of God. They can read about salvation, actually the way it's supposed to be, justification by faith, that if you believe in God, you're saved. The church at this time was giving all these rules and works and all these other things. And so as he's doing this, he is a man on the run. They're trying to hunt him down and kill him. And somebody told him, you better stop or they're going to kill you. And here's what he said, if God spare my life, And give me many years, I will cause a boy who drives a plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. His life's purpose was to get the beauty of God into the people's hearts. And so he gets arrested. A year and a half, they give him to renounce that he is saved by faith. Here are his charges. After a year and a half in prison, he was brought to trial for heresy. For believing, among other things, the forgiveness of sins by the mercy of God. These are his laws he broke during the time because the church was so lost and the nation was so corrupt. Isn't it interesting when the church gets lost, the nation gets corrupt? You think America is where it's at because the government system is lost? No, it's because the church got lost. It's because we lost our priority of prayer. It's because we lost our priority of evangelism. It's because we lost the standard of what it means to love and forgive and serve. We cannot put this on the White House. We're going to put it on the church house. Okay. Um, I was about to start preaching. Okay. Um, uh, Forgiveness of sins and that the mercy offered to the gospel is not enough. He was accused of maintaining that faith alone justifies. So because he would not renounce, salvation is found in Jesus, and he would not stop trying to print the Bible and get the Bible in people's hands, they literally strangled him and burned him to death on a stake. His last words before he died was simply this. God, would you open the king's eyes? Revelation 3, would you open his eyes? And if you know anything about history, every King James Bible you hold 
is because he prayed the prayer, would you open the king's eyes? 90% of all the translation of the King James is from William Tyndale's translation. King Henry, three years later, felt a conviction and got the Bible into everybody's hands. And we look at what's happening in our nation right now, and you look what's happening in your family, and you're praying all kinds of prayers. Can I just give you a prayer that will change a region? God, would you open people's eyes? Would you open my eyes to see your beauty? Would you open the eyes of this region to see how good you are? Would you open their eyes to see the scheme of the enemy and how it's leading to death and not life? The title of my message today is, that's my church, a church that dances before the Lord. Some of you right now are like, I'm not a dancer. That's the weirdest title ever. Trust me, you a dancer. You may not be dancing uh, um, like what, uh, what, what you think you're dancing for the Lord, but you're dancing for somebody or something. Some of you are dancing for a parent, trying to show them how good you are. Some of you are dancing for culture, show your friends how great you are. Some of you are dancing for a boss, but you literally put on your dancing shoes every day and you're dancing for someone. And the reality is if you're dancing for the wrong person, it becomes exhausting and it leads to death. But if you dance for the one that created you, it leads to life and freedom. So today I'm going to encourage you that your eyes would be open. And even if you just dance like this, God's going to ask that that dance would be reserved for him and not for the world. And if you're one of those people that like to pop and lock and pop, that is also for Jesus. I said in the first service, I'll say in the second, just don't back it up. Okay, here we go. Um, like, oh, did he say it? I did. What's that mean? Don't worry about it. That's not important. Like, back it up. What? Don't just delete that statement, okay? Bow your heads. I'm going to pray. <laughs> Shouldn't have said that. Man, what a go. Um, Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. God, would you open our eyes? Open our eyes to how we've become accustomed to our own methods and preferences. God, that we maybe became a little apathetic like the church of Laodicea. And would you wake us up to the understanding of this one life that we would burn with a passion to have your name be above all names, that your kingdom would come in the Bay Area, that you would use us to bring your glory. God, would you redeem us? God, would we open our eyes to see that you're the one that heals today? And God, I pray that my words will fall to the floor and your words uh, soar. Oh, God, I pray that you speak to us through your word today. God, we need you, we need you, we need you. And everybody said? So today's going to be kind of a complex message because I'm going to be talking about the ark. We go into the Old Testament today. And so I got four points today. First one is, what is the ark of the covenant? Second one is, we must learn the importance of the ark. Third one is, um, we must learn uh, from the churches that have lost the ark. And the last but not least, we must learn how to carry the ark. So I think before I talk about the ark, I need to tell you what the ark is. So first thing, uh, what is the ark of the covenant? Um, if I had time, I would do a whole teaching just on the Ark of the Covenant, the history of everything. But just to, to, to um, save time and really give you the essence and the big thought of the, of the message today, the Ark of the Covenant was a, basically a chest or a box, pure solid gold on top, which was a mercy seat, uh, you know, covered in gold. It uh, was literally where God's presence resided, his Shekinah glory. And not only in the, the, was in the, in the Ark of the Covenant, but there's three things inside that box. Uh, Aaron's uh, staff that butted uh, the, the almonds. Um, also the, the, the manna, which was the miracle uh, of God providing. That was also in the, um, uh, in the Ark of the Covenant. And then also the, um, the, the tablets with the, with, with the law were in there. So, so um, the Ark of the Covenant was the most prized possession of the people of God. It was the presence of God. It was, it was everything. If you look throughout, there's so many great stories about the Ark of the Covenant. You know, in Joshua, the Jordan was split with the Ark of the Covenant going before it, uh, the walls of Jericho over and over again. And so when I am going to use the word Ark today, and we must prioritize the Ark, be around the Ark, I'm saying the presence of God. 
Okay, that's really what the big theme of what the ark is in the Old Testament. And if you read Hebrews 9, it talks about the ark was a foreshadowing of what it would be for us today, that we no longer have a box that we have to um, uh, go to, but we actually have the ark of God, the presence of God living in us today. Isn't that a great thing? Amen? So what is the importance of the ark? What is the importance of the ark? Uh, 1 Samuel 3 says this, uh, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the Lord, uh, the, the, the days of the world, rewind. Here we go. Uh, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. Everybody say usual. We're going to talk about that. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of, the God, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and laid down. And you realize it's the Lord calling him because Samuel is laying next to the ark, the presence of God. And I just, I got to say real quick, uh, you got to understand Eli. Eli is the uh, priest or the shepherd of Israel right now, if you want to put it that way. And Eli's sin, when you study his life, is he devalued God and the things of God, especially towards the end of his life. And so Eli, who's supposed to be the one that values the presence of God the most, is not even near the the presence of God. A young boy is named Samuel. And so what happens? Eli's in his usual place. And can I speak a word for our church today? I think God is calling you out of your usual schedule and your usual place. And we're not going to watch our usual shows and our usual news programs and get spun up about the usual things and get angry about the same usual things and the same usual arguments. I think God's calling you out of your usual place and he's going to call you to lie next to the ark again. Because if you give me one dinner with you, I'll tell you where you lie your head. Samuel lied his head next to the ark. Some of you lie your head next to news. And so we go to dinner, and what I hear is what you lie your head next to. Some of you lie your head next to your pain and your past. So we go out to dinner, and all I hear is your pain and your past. Because you lie your head next to your pain and past. The usual thing in your life. But God is calling you to lie your head somewhere else. He's calling you to lie your head next to the ark, next to the presence of God. I believe we're entering a season, if I can put it this way. We're not going to come to God with dreams anymore. We're going to ask God to give us dreams instead. We're going to say, God, I got a dream. Would you bless it? Instead of saying, God, would you give me a dream? We're not going to come to God and say, can you be an add-on to my idea? We're going to say to God, God, I don't have an idea if I don't have you. Nothing is good if it doesn't come from you. Now, now you're, you're, you're like, dang, you're coming out of the gates hot. Talking about usual spots, my usual schedule, the usual way I give, the usual way I love. No, there's going to be a changing in your life. So how do you lie next to the ark? Is it being in church a lot? Is the ark now this, you know, beautiful building? If you're streaming, our building's pretty ghetto. You don't believe me, come check it out. We're trying to buy one, and if you want to help us, uh, you can click the give button online right now. And just buy us a building. Okay, anyways. Um, Anyways, is it the building? No. Where where did Samuel lay? It said right next to the ark. So now, like I said, the ark back then was actually a physical box where the presence of God would reside. New Testament, the ark of God lives in us. So what does it look like to lie next to the ark now? I mean, let me just read you one verse and then I'll unpack and kind of give you a picture. I love this. Verse, it says this in Psalm 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners. Oh, the joys of those who do not lie their head next to news or next to frustration. Oh, the joys of those who do not think about the past. No, oh, the joys for those who join with mockers. No, oh, the joys of those who delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. 
the way you have a choice on where you lay your thoughts. And it says there's a joy in the one that lays next to the ark. Let me, let me put it this way. God wants to speak to you. It was rare back then because nobody was listening. Now hear this. Um, I have a neighbor. They sometimes watch. Howdy, neighbor. Uh, I've never talked to him about this, but they have a barking dog. It's time for us to have the conversation, neighbor. Okay. <laughs> Through live stream. So if you're watching, I love you. Your dog barks a lot. Okay. So it's been a little over a year. Our neighborhood loves corgis, so everybody's buying corgis in our neighborhood. And so if you see, come to my neighborhood, you'll see people just walking corgis. It's, it's like corgi here, corgi over there. Corgis are adorable, all right? Um, but this particular corgi, corgi right next door barks all the time. Now, when we bought our house, one of the things I never thought I'd have in my house is we got a pool in the backyard. Come on now. Welcome to Hotel Johnson, okay? Um, four Seasons got nothing on our backyard except a uh, uh, hot tub that actually can heat up. Our hot tub bro- heater broke. And uh, yeah, so it's broken anyways. Okay. Um, it's not the nicest pool, but it's a pool. Okay. Um, and I love it. I love a pool. So um, what I love to do throughout the week is I love to go in my backyard. Some people are like, Todd, do you like, do you like fake tan or something? No, I am Greek. And when the sun's out, I go really, really tan. And then I'm also British. So when the winter comes, I get really, really pale. Okay. Uh, this is my genes. Okay. So uh, but I love going out, getting a little bit of sun. It's just good for my mental health. I love relaxing. I'll listen to some worship. It's where I go to be near to God, okay? So, um, uh, but the problem is, is a little over a year ago, our neighbor's got a dog, and this thing barks all the time in the backyard. So I'd go out there to hang out with the Lord, listen to a sermon maybe, or listen to worship, and this is what I hear. Listen to that for 30 minutes. You're going to come in. Oh, I'm so refreshed. So I started getting upset. And I started like asking the Lord, Lord, what can I do about this dog? Like what is biblically allowed to do to this creation of yours? And I was like, I know, I, know, I got okay, a tranquilizer gun, everything, you know, just a 30 minute sleep, sleep, you know what I'm saying? Can I throw over like some Benadryl and can eat and just pass out? And like, just, I won't do it all the time, just when I want to relax, God, you know? Can I open the gate up and just let him go have fun in the neighborhood for a little bit? Like, like what am I allowed to do, God? So I, I um, you know, can't do all those, any of those, by the way, zero. So um, the more and more I'd go in the backyard, the more and more I just say, like, I'm just, it's all good. And, and the dog's barking became a white noise to me. And like the last six months, I kind of laughed at myself because I was in the backyard yesterday. Listen to worship music, just relaxed for about 20 minutes. And, and uh, I was listening to it. And this is literally where like the illustration birthed, by the way. I started laughing to myself. I was like, I totally didn't even notice that beautiful little doggy over there is barking. <laughs> but he was going to town. You know, and all I'm doing is, you know, listen to worship, you know, and I have a good time. And, and I've literally learned how to make him white noise. Now, hear this real quick. If you've ever been with a parent and they have a little kid, one ear is for you and one ear is for their kid. You could be telling them the greatest story of your life. You could be telling them your, their, your testimony like, yeah, I remember I didn't even know if I wanted to live anymore. They're like, hold on a second. Um, like, oh, this is like the, the big, I, know, I, did, I didn't hear anything. Did you hear something? It, well, we hear that's a good thing. No, no, if I don't hear anything, that's a bad thing. And then, and then, you know, you could talk to him like, yeah, and, that, and that's why God is so great. And they're like, hold on a second. Uh, uh, I hear crying. I'll be right back. One ear is always attuned to their kid. I have a concern 
that I am challenging myself that this would never be a church that we have turned God's voice into a dog's bark instead of a baby's cry. That we have white noised him speaking and we go seven days with never our ear going, what, God, what do, you, what do you have for me today? That we read our word and that we would literally say, Lord, speak to me today. What would you want me to do with my life today? But what happens a lot is when we live the busyness of this life, we literally start getting into a routine of usual things and we lose out on the greatest thing that could ever happen is having God speak to us and lead us and give us a prompting to, to love somebody, to serve somebody, to pray for somebody. Oh, may we not become that church. Amen. All right, so, so here's what's going to happen. Let's l- l- look at the second part. The, the first few are going to be quicker, and then the last one is going to be the longer point. Uh, the second one is we must learn from the churches that have lost the ark, that have lost the ark. So if you know anything about 1 Samuel, um, they uh, lose the ark to the Philistines. Now, how they lose the ark is very embarrassing. They are people who don't value the presence of God anymore. They just kind of have the ark there. They lose in a battle. So they think, let's just bring the ark with us and win the next battle. They did not ask God if they should bring the ark. They, it was, it's almost like an athlete who brings like a, a, who doesn't even know the Lord, but has a cross necklace and like kisses it before the game. Be like, yeah, because I got a cross necklace on, I'm going to score a lot of touchdowns. Yeah. You know, like, like literally it happens in sports a lot. Okay. Um, well, they thought like the, the, the God's ark could just be a good luck charm in battle. They go to battle and they bring the ark with them when not asking the Lord and the ark gets stolen by the Philistines. The people of God lose the ark of God. The people of God lose the presence of God. This is the worst thing that could have happened. But I'm going to one-up it right now. I start studying this. Not only did they lose the ark of God, they lost it for 20 years. 20 years! The most important thing that they're supposed to have. They lost the presence of God to the enemy. And can I tell you real quick, the enemy from the beginning of Genesis all the way to the very end, his goal is to steal the ark of God from your life. Wow. Now, what does he look like for him to be a thief? Can I just give you a little heads up on the enemy? The enemy does not come into your life like Bram Stoker's Dracula or Thanos in Avengers. He's not some big old purple buff guy who's going to snap his finger and destroy you. The enemy throughout the Bible comes in as a caring philanthropist and puts his arm around you like he does with Adam and Eve and says... Your life could be better. If you rebelled from God, it it could be better. Come over here and try this kind of life. It could be better over here. You know, your life could be better if you lived for yourself. You know, your life could be better if you dated this way and did life this. Come on, get over here. And I asked myself this question. How in the world did a whole group of people allow the ark to be gone for 20 years? And the answer is, is that Eli, their shepherd, did not value the ark, so therefore they didn't value the ark. We will not be a church. If you're a church leader here, you're going to value the ark with me. We, you, every service, you're going to, what's, what's the most important thing? The presence of God. Pursuing God. Prioritizing God. Now, now I, so I feel this, this responsibility as a shepherd to make sure that this is always the priority of our house. That's why we have team prayer on Wednesday. That's why we start staff with prayer on Tuesday. That's why we do revival night on Thursday. That's why we do pre-service prayer on Sunday. That's why we're getting you in small groups and trying to make sure that you're praying with other people. Because if you're not praying and pursuing God, you have completely missed it in this life. You look at Israel, and the reason why they get the ark back is because a new leader arises 
that has a desire for the presence of God. His name's David. Now, if David had an Instagram, his handle would say, a man after God's own heart. Quote, God. Like a lot of us, like I got it. Like mine is like an, on a mission to change the world one person at a time. That's mine. You know? And also used to be like, I love pizza and I love Jesus. Like, like those are my handles, okay? But his is literally like, the Lord literally said, I'm a man after God's own heart. That's pretty impressive on Instagram if, you, if you're watching David. And then if David's like Instagram pictures, you like see like one of his pictures and it'd be like him holding Goliath's head. Like, this is what I did today, you know? Shout out conquering giants, you know, but legit conquering giants, you know what I'm saying? And then like his next one would be him winning another big battle. And then the next one would be like him, like, you know, hey, check out, I just got married, you know, like, um, I got married again, you know, um, awkward, you know, um, anyways, um, but his, his Instagram would be full of so many victories, but they would be keeping it real too. I feel like he'd have some Instagram things like in the cave and be like, I'm believing I'm getting out of the cave. And it's a story. I'm in the cave. You know, like, like his Instagram would have been real, but so many victories, but it always would have been because of the presence of God. If David was a clothing brand, if he's like, yo, I'm going to create a clothing brand. Nike's got a clothing brand. Their slogan is just do it. David's would be just be near. Like that would be his brand. And, you know, you see it everywhere. Like, you know, like, like, like hands postured and say, just be near. You know, like, like that would be his brand. If David had a Twitter and he was tweeting, he would tweet things like this. He would say, Psalm 16 would be one of his tweets. He'd say, you will show me the path of life and your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 8410, he'd say this. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. This is a man saying, I want to lie next to the ark for the rest of my life. If you're following Dave, you're like, man, David, I'm having a hard time. You got any tweets on hard days? David, like, I got a tweet for that, Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then last one, Psalm 63, it's for the, it's, it's, I believe, the medicine for our region. Our region is apathetic toward the things of God. Apathetic. I didn't say this in the first service. I saved it for you. Jim Cimbala. I was reading his book this last week, and he said something. I was reading one of his quotes. He goes, I get somewhat embarrassed when people are saying, get prayer back into schools. Because he says, these people that are saying, get prayer back in schools aren't even praying in their homes. And they're always like, get, get, get God first in the schools. And this guy, and some ball would say, he's like fifth in your life. How many gets first in your life? And then maybe he can be first in the schools. This isn't some lever we're trying to pull. This is a life, like, the reason why the world is today, like I said, is because the church has made contract ideas of how God's supposed to move. He wants to move through you. He wants to have his presence come to you and through you. And so David would say this way in Psalm 63. You are God, my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I've seen you in the sanctuary, and behold your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Now, some of you are like, kind of like, I can't believe we talked about the school thing. Buckle up, okay? Here's the deal. Um, of course I want Jesus in the schools. Of course. I was going to share this picture. I've got so many things I want to share with you today. I'm preaching the next two weeks. I don't know why I'm sharing all these right now, but I will. Uh, I'm going to share it next week. There is a picture of where the Roman Senate would most powerful, uh, you know, nation in the world. They would create all the laws and think they're shaping everything. And right below them in the catacombs were some Christians praying. And one is rubble and one is moving today. 
And I'm telling you real quick, if you will understand the spirit of the early church, how they understood that prayer did everything and the presence of God changed everything, you wouldn't be stressed out. You'd just be praying more and believing more. Don't let the enemy steal the ark. Okay. Uh, we must learn... Uh, or did that one. <laughs> okay. Um, let's do the last one. Uh, we must learn how to carry the ark. We must learn how to carry the ark. Uh, now, David... Uh, we're going to fast forward now to 2 Samuel. Uh, and right before this, in 2 Samuel 5, David conquers Jerusalem. He drives out the Jebusites, literally now has Jerusalem. And modern day Jerusalem is way bigger, but back then it was 12 square acres. So he had fortified all of it. And now Jerusalem is a palace where he'll live. It's going to be an amazing thing. It's in a perfect place where you can actually defend yourself. It's an amazing piece of land. It's beautiful. It's God's promised land. It's the city of Zion. So David... Uh, decides the first thing he wants to do is go get the Ark of God. Why? Let me unpack to you David's heart and why he had to do this. Imagine you got the nicest mansion you ever dreamt of. The greatest mansion ever. Just picture it, whatever that is. Best cars ever. Million dollar cars. Just all of the ones you want. Best chefs ever. Best food. But there's one catch. You have to live in that mansion on an island all by yourself for the rest of your life. It wouldn't be worth it. It'd be like, this is so empty. I have nobody to share it with. To live in this house and have these things by myself. Some of you introverts right now are like, no, that's paradise, okay? Where do I sign the papers, okay? Um, but even you introverts need some interaction with some people, okay? And the way David saw his life was, if I don't have the presence of God with me, it's like living on an island by myself. I won't enjoy being king. I want to enjoy relationships. I want to enjoy my life. I need to get the presence of God at the center of the people of God. So David is zealous for the Lord, and he gets his people together, and he's so excited he forgets to actually read scripture on how to do it. He inquires of the people. They're jazzed. 30,000 are like, let's throw a, bring the ark back to conference, you know? Like, we're bringing the ark back conference, you know? Get your tickets today, you know? And so they all get fired up about it. They get their whole uh, worship team together, and here's what happens. And there's three things I'm going to show to you in this, in this thing. Uh, and this is, this is where we're going to understand. This, if you get these two points, you will be excited to dance before the Lord. The first thing you need to understand is we must understand what sin is. Second one is we must understand what grace is. And if we understand those two things, we will understand what dancing really looks like before God. So the first one, we must understand what sin is. So David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bela and Judah to bring up uh, from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim of the Ark. They set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ohio, sons of Abinadab, um, sure, uh, were guiding a new cart. Stop. So if you... Don't understand the context of this. I need to unpack a little bit of teaching here. Uh, even we're just setting the stage. They're going to get the, car, the ark back. They defeated their, the enemy, so they're going to go get the ark back. And as they're going to get the ark back, they decide to put the ark on a cart. What's the big deal, Tyler? They learned about putting the ark on a cart from the world. Wow. The Philistines were the ones that thought about putting the presence of God on, an, on a cart. The scripture shows the only way you carry the ark is by a priest. You're a priest, I'm a priest, okay? A consecrated priest with a pole that goes through the rings and they would carry the ark. You're never supposed to pull the ark on a cart. Can you imagine this picture? They go to get the ark, the presence of God, the ark of God. They put it on an ark and they're just walking it back and then they're playing the instruments and partying. It's like a kid with that little radio flyer, a little, you know, a wagon. 
Can you imagine them just walking around the presence of God? And to be honest, a lot of you carry the presence of God like a little kid carries the radio wagon flyer. Here's why. Because here is what cultures taught you. You've learned how to carry the, the presence of God just like the world has taught you how to do it. Because everything you get is there to serve you. So if everything's supposed to serve me, the presence of God serves me. Get in my ark, I'm going to pull you in my car, and I'm going to pull you around, God. Oh, I'm kind of sad. I need you right now. Make me happy. Mm, feels better. Okay, here we go. Okay, I, I need a promotion. Time, I got to go get the presence of God again. Okay, boom. Okay, what do I want? I'm, I'm going over here today. Come on, presence of God, follow me. I got some good ideas for the day. And you're walking God on a cart. When God says, I'm not, I am God. I do not belong on a cart. I do not belong to be pulled by you or led by you. So what happens when you put God on a cart and you pull him around? Let's check. So with the ark of God on it, and Ohio was walking in front of it. So they're walking in front of it. Ohio was walking in front of it. They're walking, you know, cart, the, the, the oxen are pulling it. Dave and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, said the first service, sistrums. I don't know what a sistrum is, but I guarantee you that thing hit, okay? It was like, we get the sistrum going. Okay, sistrums and cymbals. So, I mean, they had, if there was an instrument, they're playing it, okay? Uh, they were celebrating. When they came to the threshing floor of Nikon, Uzzah reached out and took a hold of the ark of God because the oxen had stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Stop. You just got to understand, like, imagine being part of this 30,000, you know, bringing it back, and they're going off. They're playing the instruments and they're worshiping. Let the lion roar, roar. I mean, they're going off, okay? You know, whatever, how they're doing their worship, okay? And everybody's like, woo, it's going so good, you know? They're like, like, aren't you impressed, God? Come on, follow us, you know? And as that's happening, uh, oxen stumbles. Uzzah is right next to it, and he goes to catch the ark from falling. And when he touches the ark, he is literally struck down dead. Uh, you'd be like, we ain't never playing that song again. Get rid of the sistrum. No more thought. Like, like what, what, what song were you playing? Like, like you start just like looking around, what happened? So David says this. It says that David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. You, you study this, theologians uh, showed over and over again. David's not angry at God. He's not angry at Uzzah. He's angry at himself. David, eyes are opened. Man, I love when God opens our eyes. His eyes are opened and he's angry. He's like, what was, that, what was I thinking? And so he goes on uh, and he leaves the ark at Obed-Edom's house. And if you read the scripture, Obed-Edom gets blessed and um, goes on to get blessed so much that David's like, this is, what, this is supposed to be for Israel. Because wherever the presence of God is, there is blessing. And the presence of God is not supposed to be in the backyard. It's supposed to be at the center of God's people. And so he, he is compelled because somebody else is blessed by God's presence to go get the presence again. Be an Obed-Edom to somebody. Live a life where you're just so blessed by God that people are like, I want what you have. It's the presence of God. And so um, I, I want to touch on something real quick because I think we have to understand it. We must understand what sin is. So this is a pretty intense moment, right? Um, you have uh, everybody singing and Uzzah touches the ark of God and he dies. And when I was a young believer, I used to think, oh my gosh, like, God's a cranky God. And if I make him mad, he's going to strike me dead like Uzzah. And so I was a very legalistic, religious Christian, especially my first handful of years. I was checking the box of everything I was supposed to check the box on. Very afraid when I did sin, he was done with me. I always felt like if I sinned, he's done. And because I didn't understand the seriousness of sin, and the, I didn't understand the power of grace yet. 
And here's why I didn't understand the seriousness of sin and why God reacted the way he did. God is not a cranky God. God's a holy God. And let me just unpack what that means. If I'm driving a car and I ram it into a brick wall and my car is crushed because of it, should I be angry or surprised by the brick wall being a wall? The wall is going to be a wall. If I put my hand over a candle with a flame and I burn my hand, should I be mad at the fire being fire? No, the fire is going to be fire. If I take water and put it over the candle and I put it out, should I be mad at the water being water? No, I cannot be mad at God for being holy. And a holy God cannot lower his standard because you've lowered your standard. He cannot lower his standard because you want to come to him casually without reverence and think that that's going to create life. Now, Uzzah was spiritually already dead. Now he's physically dead. Here's what God is trying to get across over and over again in the Old Testament. And because the Israelites were such slow learners, somewhat like myself, visual aids are sometimes the best things to teach us. And Uzzah became the visual aid. And Uzzah literally, with no reverence for God, catch this, the ark was going to hit the ground. And when it was going to hit the ground, Uzzah thought the dirt would defile the ark, but his own sin would not defile the ark. And so Uzzah thought... I'm clean. I'm good. I'm not dirty. The dirt's dirty. I'm not dirt. I'm clean. I'm Uzzah. I'm a good guy. I'm an, I serve in the youth ministry. I'm on the welcome team. I'm, I mean, like, why not? I, I, I even go to Homes of Hope every other year. I'm an amazing Christian. I can touch the ark. No, 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 Uzzah. You're not that amazing. You're filthy, okay? We're all filthy. A lot of us do not understand the seriousness of sin, and so we decide to live our own way, and if I could just put it this way, this is the presence of God. If you want to actually have the presence of God in your life, you have to understand that your sin has to be dealt with. Uzzah didn't think his sin had to be dealt with. So some of you, how does this apply to your life? Well, I want the presence of God, but I'm going to live the way I want to live, date the way I want to date, do whatever I want to do, talk whatever I want to talk. I'm going to prioritize. It's all about me. You may not be falling dead like Uzzah right in front of the ark, but you're creating death in your life. If you do not take sin seriously... Sin creates death in your life. That's all this is showing you real quick. And the nature of God is holiness cannot hang out with sin. So David sees this. So how do you carry the ark then? How do you actually carry the presence of God and not experience death in your life, but fullness of life and dance before God? I love that the story doesn't end here. The scripture shows us the beauty of the gospel. You ready? So it goes on. Uh, David, you know, hears about the household even being blessed. So David went back to bring the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. So David comes back, and the Levites, if I had time, it's in Chronicles, this story too. He gets the Levites ready. They're carrying the ark. David brings it back now with worship. If you want to have your head lie beside the presence of God, have the presence of God be a part of your life, worship will be the center part of your life. It will not be something you just do on Sunday. Worship will be who you are. You are a worshiper. And so David realizes the only way I can carry the ark and be with the ark is I have to worship. And so he goes on to worship, and we're going we're gonna to unpack this. Uh, he goes on to worship, um, and uh, when he, those who carry the ark of the Lord, he would take six steps, sacrifice a, 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 a bull, a, a fattened calf bull before the Lord, and thank the Lord, and then worship. And so you're like, why would he go six steps and then, you know, um, uh, and then, and, then, and then worship and then pray. Why was it not seven? Why was it not five? Seven was the number of completion. And David was showing that he could not complete one, basically, part of his life without the grace of God in his life. Without the, the sacrifice of God. Without somebody paying the price. For David knew this. Sacrificeable. I'm clean. I can be with the ark now. One step. 
I'm dirty. Two-step, I'm dirtier. Three-step, I'm dirty. Four-step, five. I need a sacrifice again. I need the grace of God on my life again. Every little bit of his life, I need the grace of God, I need the grace of God, I need the grace of God. And so he understands now that the only way that he can come close to the ark, he can have the presence of God, is that if the grace of God would cover him, and the grace of God is only received through a sacrifice. So he's starting to sacrifice. So um, I, I, I uh, heard a um, theologian say it this way. I have since learned that the most mature believer is the one who is bent over, leaning most heavily on the Lord, and admitting his total inability to do anything without Christ. The greatest Christian is not the one who has achieved the most, but rather the one who has received the most. And so, so David now has his eyes open. The only way I'm going to have the life and enjoy the presence of God is me understanding how serious sin is, but how great grace is. And so now he is uh, being bathed in grace through the sacrifice. And so he's wearing a linen ephod. David's dancing before the Lord with all his might while, um, uh, while he, he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts of sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing for the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Goes on to say, when David returned home, uh, home to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Uh, like in, a, in a mocking way, of course. She was going around half naked in full view of slave groves of servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father who or, or anyone else from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I'll be, become even more indignified than this and I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. Stop. So we got to unpack this real quick. Uh, the whole theme of this message is worship. Like dancing is worship to God. And we had to start with the presence of God, understand the importance of it, how it can get stolen, how to carry it. And now we're at this moment, and I'm going to have you leave the church today, and I want to make sure that you grasp this more than anything else. How do I worship God? What is worship? What does it mean to prioritize the ark, to, to have the ark in my life? And so I was literally reading every single person I love that's ever taught on worship, you know, you name it, C.S. Lewis, Hayford, I mean, um, uh, I mean, Tozer, I was at least 60 different people, uh, opinions on worship. I was going nuts. I was like, what's, how do you describe worship in the best way? And then the Lord just like bubbled up Romans 12 in my heart and gave me this, and I should have went there first, forgive me, but I am a slow learner myself. He says, this is worship in his word. And so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now, if you understand anything about the gospel message, we no longer have to sacrifice a bull every six steps. Every step that I take before me, Jesus has gone before me. And Jesus has paid the ultimate sacrifice. If you know anything about the mercy seat of the tabernacle, the blood was dripped on top of it for the sins of Israel. And it says in Hebrews 10, we now walk confidently because Christ's blood has been sprinkled on our minds and on our life because now we are the ones that are walking in grace because he paid the ultimate price. Now, what is worship? Worship is simply this. Worship is the how in your life. How you sing to God, how you live for God, how you give your life away to others, how you serve, how you, how you prioritize. Worship is your how and everything. This week, you should ask yourself, how am I doing this and why am I doing this? How am I loving people? Because he loved me first. So how am I going to do it? Your worship is your how. Now, now let me... I gotta, I'm going to double down on this thought because I think some of you are still like, okay, I'll live out. No, no, no. I, I need you to hear something real quick. Um, imagine Rachel's birthday. Uh, she's a July birthday like myself. Rachel, uh, been married to her for now 11 years, but I still ask people, what do you think I should get Rachel? You know, and 
Imagine if I didn't know Rachel. Let's even go a step further in this illustration. And uh, I know this about my wife, but like if I didn't know Rachel, like what's Rachel's favorite dessert for her birthday? My wife loves pie. I love Cheesecake Factory. She loves Nation's Pies. So for her birthday, she'd love a bunch of Nation Pies, a little variety to try a bite of each one, okay? Um, she loves variety. I love variety. So, so she'd love pies for her birthday. And then somebody tells me, you know what? She's been dreaming of this necklace with this little itty bitty diamond, uh, you know, um, stud at the bottom. And she would love that necklace. And so I come to her birthday and I get her Cheesecake Factory for dessert. And I get her a bracelet that says, Tyler's girl. And she opens it up and she's like, and I'm like, did you like your birthday? And she's like, no, I didn't like my birthday. And I, at first I'd be like, why wouldn't you like your birthday? I, I did this. I was sincere. The reality is, is Rachel's Rachel. Rachel likes pie. Rachel wanted a necklace. I was told what she desired, but I decided to do my own thing. It ruins her birthday. Uh, Let me unpack this for you and the Lord. In this room right now, some of you think very highly of yourself. And some of you think very lowly of yourself. The ones that think highly of themselves, you're like this, Paisley. You gave me five minutes, Tyler. You'd be impressed with who I am. The business I birth, the business I run, the money I make, the things I've done, the kids I've raised, the house I have, (laughs) and the sports teams I root for. I'm amazing. And because you think so highly of yourself, when God says, bring me humility, bring me praise, bring me passion, raise your hands and worship me, you go, I don't think you understand who I am. If people saw me raise my hands and weep, that wouldn't go with who I am to other people. So I will not dance before God because I'm impressive. I'm amazing. That's some of you in this house. That's your spirit. I digress. Some of you in this house, you think so terrible about yourself. You think about all your past mistakes, about the abuses that people have done to your life. And so during worship, you just think about everything bad about yourself. And David in this moment shows us how to carry the ark and how to dance before the Lord. Michael comes before him, Michael comes before him and goes, you looked ridiculous. And he goes, I don't care. I'm not thinking about what you're thinking. I'm not thinking about what they're thinking. I'm not even thinking what I'm thinking. I'm thinking about what he's thinking. And when I think about what he thinks, I can dance freely before my God. I can live different. I can worship different. It's a time for you to stop being so impressed with yourself and let God impress you this next season. It's time for you to stop telling God how bad things are and start realizing how good he is. We can become a church that dances before the Lord, not just on Sunday, but for the rest of our life. Will you bow your heads? Oh, it's your first time or second time in church. Have you ever said yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing? You've never said yes to salvation. Well, today's your day. You're going to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, if you want to say yes to salvation today. God was tugging on your heart. Your eyes were opened to the goodness of God that you can be saved because he died on a cross, that you can walk every step knowing that you have been cleansed, that you can dance and celebrate. If that's you with every head bowed and eye closed, you want to say yes to Jesus. Raise your hand and uh, catch my eye on the count of three. One, two, three. Raise it up. I want to say yes to I see you and I see you. Come on now. I see you. Anybody else? I want to say yes to Jesus. Yes to salvation today. I see you. That's a great decision. You guys can go and stand up. just want to pray for you real quick. Be very simple. I hate that the enemy is so slippery that even in the midst of this message, some of you feel like, Oh, okay, I'll prioritize the ark. His burden is light. It's not heavy. Religion's heavy. 
What God wants to give you this next season is joy, not a burden. What I'm asking of you as a shepherd is for you to live your birthright, to step into fullness of God. Some of you are going to, oh, this is too much. All I'm asking you is to enjoy God this next season, to prioritize Him, to pray a little bit more, to ask Him to be a part of your life, to lead your life. Trust me, you walking God around has not worked out for you. Oh, I pray that you do not let the enemy steal what God is trying to say to you. He is beautiful. He is good. He wants to bless you. He wants to redeem you. Go enjoy God this week. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.